Hello and welcome once again to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. This is an episode that's going to have another segment of Keeper of the Greens. I'm really excited to bring it to you. This is episode number 35. Now, just before we get stuck into Keeper of the Greens, I want to just bring your attention to a partners of the podcast. Keeper of the Greens is brought to you by Australian Turf Analysis. And as a greenkeeper, as a golf course superintendent, I know that when it comes to agronomy, our industry has always been using tools at the forefront of science and technology. And the latest in that technology comes to you from Australian Turf Analysis and their multi-spectral lens drone. Now, I will say this. I'm just going to jump this in the middle. I was just down and I went and saw Australian Turf Analysis and John League getting out to Camden Golf Club in Sydney Southwest. And I got to see in detail how they do one of these surveys. And it is really sensational stuff. There were golfers out on golf course playing and enjoying the day. It was a wonderful day. Superintendent Justin and his team were out there doing all their work as usual. And yet here we are. John's out there from Australian Turf Analysis just doing a survey. Didn't bother anyone. Just got on with the job. It's so quick and so easy. So to go and see it happening was really, really insightful. And just so good to see how pinpoint accurate this stuff is. It really is on the cutting edge of technology. Now, with a drone flight over your course, Australian Turf Analysis can show you what is happening all before it's visible to the trained eye of a greenkeeper. The multispectral lens, along with intelligent software, measures turf stress and correlates the data for you in a very easy-to-read graphic map, along with a few other formats that are available. Now, you might think that some of the latest scientific tools like this are a bit pricey, but I can assure you that once you get a quote to survey your course, you will be searching for reasons why you shouldn't use this technology to help maintain your golf course. It really is that affordable, and that's why you need to go and get in touch with John so he can show you just what it is and how easy it is to access this sort of technology. John Legge at Australian Turf Analysis is your certified and fully insured drone pilot to make sure all those paperwork bases are covered so you don't have to worry no matter where you are in Australia. Now for the good part, guys, for any new first-time customers of Australian Turf Analysis, yes, they are offering a 10% discount on your first service if you mention the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. So head on over to www.australianturfanalysis.com to get in touch with John for a quote for your golf course. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed. It really is that affordable and it really is that helpful to help you as a greenkeeper and as a superintendent to do your job better and maintain your course better. So get over there now and get in touch with John. Ladies and gentlemen, we come once again to Keeper of the Green segment of the podcast of the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. I welcome you along to listen and join in a conversation and discussion. And I have on the line with me, we're going to a state that we haven't visited yet. We're going to head down to the southern parts of Australia into Victoria, the wonderful Gulf state that is Victoria, as we know, into Melbourne. And I have on the line Superintendent Peter Causey from Eastwood Golf Club. G'day, Peter. Welcome, mate. G'day, Steve. Thanks for having me. Mate, thank you for coming along. Now, this is a bit of a first for me, I will be honest. Mate, I I don't I previously not not that long ago, I didn't know you. I don't know your golf course. I've never been to Eastwood. And I say sadly so, because I love visiting golf golf courses all over the place. 
But it's uh, we got in touch and I, I invited you onto the podcast. I want to learn a bit about your story, mate. Thank you very much for coming along. Are you a little? Have you done this sort of thing before? Have you ever done a podcast? No, this is this is the first. So this is the, oh. this, this, yeah. This is, this a is, world, this is a world first for Pete. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, mate. And incidentally, I think we, uh, we we've been chatting a little bit in time, and and you watched a bit of the race, the Bathurst One Thousand, not yep. so long, ago, mate. I, I think we were chatting about that too. So that was a good weekend, just a, a couple of weekends ago. Always adds a bit of something good to to get away from from work and from golf every now and then. So I think that's a good thing too. Good excuse mate, to sit in front of the TV and drink some beers too. Oh, mate, nothing, and and you're dead right. I love that side of it too. But I, I was sitting at home eating. I don't know if you saw or if anyone listening heard me as well recently. I was sitting back just sucking on a, a jar of honey from Glenelg Golf Club in Australia. So it's a bit, it's a bit <laughs> random. But I, I was, I was excited by it. Something a little bit different. But uh, mate, I'm going to start off. We'll dive into your story. We'll dive into Eastwood a little bit. But first is the bit of fun, Steve's Super 7 questions. You ready to roll? Yeah, hit me with them. All right, mate, let's go, let's go. Sunrise or sunset? Uh, sunrise, unless unless I'm in Hawaii and I'm on the beach, it'll be sunset. Oh, wow, that's a, <laughs> now that's a place I wasn't expecting to hear for a sunset. I, I think uh, most people could well and truly handle that sort of a sunset. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very good. Now, we'll start off with some course appearance questions, and we're going to go with stripes or no stripes on fairways. It's, this this sort of changes for me. At the moment, I'm no stripes, so I'm sort of going down that, that clean cleaner look. And and do you find – is uh, we'll just dive into this a little bit while we're here. Do you find that it's a, a bit of a, I suppose, a, a seasonal climate thing with your golf course there at Eastwood if it's a bit – you know, a bit more wet, a little bit more rainfall. Do you go a different way as opposed to if it's a bit drier? Do you have that or what's the reason I, behind it? I think part of it at the moment for us is it's probably a time-saving thing. It's a bit quicker quicker mowing them without the stripes than it is with yep. the stripes. But, um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it, 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 you know, if you, if you can't get those stripes burnt into the, in, into the fairways um, really well, they, they don't tend to look that good. So it just sometimes looks a bit better without them. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And, and obviously that, like you said, for your golf course and for, for how you want Eastwood to look, it's uh, something that you bring out. So, mate, yeah. very interesting. Always good to hear the reasons behind, which I do like. Now, preferred look of an overall course, lean or lush? I like the lush. I like the, the deep green and, and, you know, the white sand and the bunkers and all that kind of stuff. So the, the, yeah. the lush for me. Just the really, the real standout presentation, yeah. which is which is. Something that, that, look, that's what we do for a living as greenkeepers at the end of the day is a presentation and it's a certain style. So that's good, mate. Now, what about favourite green surface? Bent grass, cooch grass or something else, which if it is, you need to name it. Well, I would have said bent grass. Um, obviously, but, uh, courses I've been at previously were, were bent grass and then obviously Eastwood's a, a mixture of bent and polar and I'm, I'm actually quite enjoying the, the, the surface we get out of that bent and polar at the mix at the moment. So I'll probably just I'll stick with that. Bent and polar, nice. And that, yep, that's something that we have heard quite a bit too. So that's what you've got at Eastwood. That's, that's yes, very, right. very interesting to hear. We go to number five. Where do you prefer to maintain a golf course? Cool climate or warm climate? I haven't, I haven't experienced a warm climate course yet, so I'll probably stick with the cool at the moment. So, Okay, yeah. very good. Favourite bunker style, mate? This one's always one that I love to hear the answers for, and I think a lot of people listening do. St Andrews, Kingston Heath or Augusta National? I'll probably stick with the Heath, I think. 
very, very nice. I think it's a yeah. good Aussie one. It's yeah, a good exactly. Aussie one, that one. And finally, mate, one last one to, to, to kick off the fun. If you could visit one golf course anywhere in the world tomorrow, which one would it be? I would have said St Andrews, but I'm, I'm married to a Scottish person and we went over there for a holiday. So we've sort of walked around St Andrews and Canoosey and stuff like that. So this one's, oh, a, wow. little, this one's a little bit different than any, anyone, anyone that I've heard for a while or anything is, is Wolf Creek in Nevada. Oh, Wolf Creek. Right. Yeah. There you go. Seen Where some, does that come from? Well, I've just seen some photos of, of it sort of out in the desert and, and stuff like that. It just looks looks pretty impressive with the you know all of the the sand and stuff around it and then they're all of the deep green fairways in, in in amongst it all so it's just a, it looks looks good in the photos so i just think that good, and probably near las vegas as well so it'd be an excuse to go to the casinos <laughs> a nice part of the world to visit on top of having to see a nice golf course to boot <laughs> yeah, exactly <So. laughs> very very good mate all right well that's the bit of fun and i always like to to see and i think our listeners love to compare their thoughts with what they're hearing as well which is always very interesting mate so thank you well done now let's kick off let's kick off pete let's let's learn a little about your story mate where you've come from and how you you got to where you are today and we'll start at the beginning for you mate tell us all and explain to us how you got into green keeping as a trade for yourself where did it begin for you pete well i i you know coming out of school doing year 12 i didn't know what i wanted to do do with myself and probably um was evident in the, in the subjects that i'd chosen at school i think i did mechanics photography and, and horticulture um okay. which that's a broad of, mix yeah exactly it sort of scared the parents a little bit i think they thought i was going to be <laughs> taking photos of cars in parks and stuff like that but um I, I sort of i like being outdoors and 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 doing all of that that kind of stuff so i sort of stuck with the the, the horticulture side of it all and did the advanced certificate in horticulture um, at, at Holmes Glen, down in Victoria here. And for, for part of the requirements for that is you had to undertake work experience. Yep. Um, I sort of started doing my work experience at my father-in-law's nursing home and then found uh, Spring Valley Golf Club. I, I ended up doing some work experience there for what's supposed to be six weeks and I think it ended up almost being six months. So um, wow. and that, was at, that was at the time when John Sloan was in charge of in charge of all his courses down here and and um one of the courses that he was in charge of as well was was long island okay um, yep that's right next door to uh pk is that yeah, right? yeah that's correct and they had an apprenticeship going um and i I'd, I'd fallen in love with it you know i was an 18 year old kid coming out of school you know riding around on motorbikes and talking on walkie talkies and stuff like that so i was having a ball <laughs> as, a, as a work experience kid and um, sort of went down and at the time Glenn Stewart was down as the superintendent down there and um, I sort of had a chat with him and he offered me an apprenticeship and it, it sort of sort of led in from there. Wow, okay, that's very good. And, and I think those of us who know is Glenn Stewart's now moved on to become the director of courses, I think is the title at, at Peninsula Kingswood. Yeah, correct. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. So he's obviously gone in through the world in the sand belt there and now is it at what we know is a wonderful PK. So, so you spent a bit of time. How long were you there at Long Island for under Glenn before you sort of moved on a little bit? Well, I, I, I finished my apprenticeship there. So it was in 1994 until 2000 I was down there. So Glenn was there for maybe a year, a year and a half. Um, and I think he then moved on to Woodlands at that stage and his, his brother Shane took over at Long Island. So... I sort of I sort of caught both of the, the the Stuart brothers as as my bosses while I was doing my apprenticeship, which was really good. So, 
Very good. Yeah, so I finished my apprenticeship there and started the advanced what was the advanced certificate in in sports turf management at the time, and then in two thousand I moved to the Heritage um, Golf and Country Club as a groundsman. Um, was two minutes from home, so it was you know I, I was two minutes from home to get to Heritage, or it was a forty-five minute to an hour drive down to Long Island. So it was you know the the, the, the long the long commuting was taking its toll, and it sort of took up the job there. So the heritage, just to check with people, so we're talking Spring Valley, that's sort of down the southeastern parts of Melbourne and then Long Island's not far from there, is that right? Yeah, correct, correct. It's a little and, bit further down towards Frankston. Yep, um, and then Long we, we head to the heritage, which is up the northeast, up the Yarra Valley. Is, is yeah, that, correct. Is that right? Valley, and that's the Nicholas. The, the start the Nicholas of the Yarra Valley, yeah. So when I first started there, there was just the one, the, the Jack Nicholas course, Yep. Um, at the time, and then obviously later on, they they built the second course, the Henley course. So, right. So it's a two. So it was was it two courses when you were there? No, no. It was just the one course. Okay. The other the just other the, the other one hadn't started. The second one hadn't started yet. So St John's right. Was, okay. St John's was the course. Ah, um, uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So that's up the Yarra Valley. And did you find much of a different difference in? I I can assume so, but. Tell us, was there much of a difference in, in your learning a bit of your craft there and, and experience from going from a bit of the sand belt to up to up the Yarra? I don't know the Yarra specifically. Are they different styles of how to maintain courses? Yeah, it's a lot harder to dig holes out there, obviously being in the um in the clay rather than on, on the sand on the sand. But um it gets a lot wetter during winter. Obviously okay. being in the being being in the valley also the weather conditions are a lot a lot worse as well. It's, you know, it's always a couple of degrees hotter out that way and a couple of degrees colder. So um, there, w- there were times out at the in, in at Heritage where you'd, you'd sort of get to work at six o'clock in the morning and it'd be foggy, and at two o'clock in the afternoon it'd still be foggy out there. So yeah, right. Okay, yeah, that's so, quite interesting. Yeah. So the weather patterns were, were were quite different as well. So very very interesting indeed. And was that a big team you were part of? Looking after Nicholas Course? Yeah, look, there was, I think there was about 17 of us there at one point, and that went up to up to 2021, sort of through the, the summer periods when we had the, the, the casuals come through. So, wow. Um, then obviously they built the second course, and then, and then obviously we had the two separate crews on there, which was yeah, good. Right. So, yeah, it was a big, very, big, big project. Very interesting. And no doubt, obviously, there's standards and expectations with a Nicholas named or course as well. I don't. Uh, I don't doubt there, w- there would have been a pretty impressive workload and uh, quality of golf course to be part of. Yeah, correct. It's, it was very interesting to see. You know, they used to come out every couple of years and and, and make sure that the standards were, were being upheld and all of those those kind of criteria were being met. So it was always it was always a bit of fun when 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 they came out and, and you you sort of got to talk to them. So it was, it was wow. very interesting. Very good. And and what position were you there when you were at Heritage, mate? So I started I started off as a groundsman. I just got there as a groundsman's position and worked my way up to the foreman on the uh, St. John's course and then the assistant on the Henley course and then um, assistant on the St. John's course. So Okay, right. Uh, yeah, so slowly worked my way up um, from and, there. And you found – how did you go then from being, I suppose, one of the team members to being a leader of the team? As you moved in and bounced through, how did how how did that sort of feel for you and unfold? Yeah, it was a, it was a difficult a difficult thing because you know when I was the ground, you know, I, was, I was I was one of the boys always having the joke and always mucking around <laughs> a little bit and, and and all of those kind of things. So you sort of had to change the way that you do do things and think about things. But it's, it was a bit of a, a testing time. But I think the guys ended up getting used to it and realised what was going on. So it sort of made it a little bit easier as well. 
and and learning to I suppose manage team, keep a team together, and and pull everyone in the same direction, working together cohesively. They're sorts of skills that you learn, I suppose, as you step up. I know I did, so I can only assume that was a similar thing for then. You know, as you as you move on from from a place like Heritage. Yeah, exactly right. Well, it's you know, working underneath Glenn and Shane, and then obviously Sam Sam Moyle while while at Heritage, they're, they're very good operators so I, I sort of learnt, learnt quite a lot from those guys um, I, I suppose especially towards the end of my time at, at, at Heritage being there for, for so many years under Sam he's, he is an excellent operator so um, learning from him he's, he's one of the best at what he, what he was doing at the time so um, it sort of made things a lot easier than what I thought they would be so it was good Yeah, and, and you're always learning I find doesn't matter where you are in life you're always learning exactly always right, learning something yeah. Exactly so, right. so tell us more. The St. Your assistant at the St. John course, I think you just mentioned. Yep. Where to from that point, mate, for you and your career? Well, obviously, 2015, the the position at, at Eastwood came up as a superintendent. So I thought it was thought it was time for me to go out on my own and and try and you know try and land on my own two feet rather than rely on other people all the time. So I so I applied for that and was successful in getting that, and I've sort of been there ever since. So, so. How long? So tell us a little bit, and we'll we'll probably go into a little bit of Eastwood. So you you had the desire, I suppose, you were looking for that next step, that that challenge of I want to put my mark on somewhere, the same as the people I've been looking up to so far in your career. Is that sort of how that come about? And you were yeah, looking around yeah, a little, pretty much. And I I just thought I got to that point where I felt that I could do it myself, and and wanted to try and be a little bit use my creative, you know, my inner creative side and. and and start being able to do do things the way that I I, I felt like doing them and and and, um, and trying to work that into it all. So I thought, obviously, going out on my own and, and, and trying to get a job somewhere else is probably the best way to do that. I agree with you, mate, a hundred percent. I remember when I was, you know, going through that time when I was an assistant in a club, and and I was like, I just want to get my hands on it. I just want to sink my teeth into it myself, yeah. and I want to I want to be a, I want to be the the person leading the team delivering something special, making it a draw card, bringing, you know, let's create a destination and I want to be the one at the end of the day to go, you know what, that's a hell of a hard week of work, but my God, look at what we've done together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, completely agree. And it's a it's a wonderful challenge and I think once you start doing it and you're reaping the rewards and you're seeing the team work together and, you, you, you know, you get that camaraderie in the workplace. It, all those things gel together. It's just I find it a wonderful feeling. I can only imagine, like you said, you've gone from the Heritage as well to then to Eastwood. So tell us a little bit about what Eastwood is and, and some of the, I suppose, some of the parts of it for you and your time being superintendent there. Look, it's a, it's a, it's a lot smaller smaller the club than definitely coming from what Heritage is, a lot smaller budget. So, um, you know, you've got to think outside the box for for trying to do a lot of things and 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 making your your money go as as far as you can, which I, is is very challenging. But I, I kind of find that quite enjoyable. But it's it's a great little course. It's at the foot of the Dandenongs. Um, sort of has its own microclimates because of that. And so that's that's east of Melbourne yeah, correct. city east, itself. East of Melbourne, you're better forty five minutes to an hour east of east of Melbourne. Yeah, right. Right. So. so so do you, incidentally, because I, I kind of, I love the geography of golf courses and I like to hear about the stuff and I haven't been there, like I mentioned to begin with. So you've got the Dandenongs from memory as I Google Earth everything in my head as well. You've got the Dandenongs are to your east. 
Yep. Is there? I don't. I think they're about six hundred and something meters high. Correct. Memory. Yes. They're not. Yeah, they're not that, terribly yeah. tall. But do they? You mentioned. Do you get much weather come off that? Because I'm used to looking after a golf course in the Blue Mountains, so we're on top of the hill. We yeah. were a kilometre in the sky, and and that had all sorts of things. We used to every now and then we have four seasons in one hour. Yeah. But and I know they say four seasons in one day in Melbourne. What do the Dandenongs kind of? You mentioned a microclimate. What sort of things do you get that you didn't get it? at the Spring Valleys and also at, at sort of up the arrow at, at Heritage? Look, we, we, we call it at the eastward mist. You know, the, the, the drizzle tends to bounce off the mountain and just swirl around. And, and there'll be days where it's just that misty rain, you know, when yeah. the weather's bad and you sort of you drive 15 metres, 20 metres up the road sort of thing and it's almost sunny. So um, <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're up to nearly 1,200 mil of rain this year already. Whoa, so wow. We've, we've, we've had quite a fair bit this year. It's been a very wet year for us, but it's... Um, it's it's just inter- interesting in the mornings and especially those those colder mornings when you you might have a small amount of frost. We don't have as much frost as what we did out in the Yarra Valley, but because you've got the mountains there, it takes a lot longer for the sun to rise to get up to to thaw everything out, I suppose, as well. So I'm, it, I'm it, glad you mentioned that because that was one of the things I was kind of going to ask you as well: is do they cast a shadow in the morning? Yeah, yeah, very much so. So you, I think when we we're at at Heritage, you know, you, you had your view out to the Yarra Valley, and and at six thirty in the morning, the sun was shining on everything, and you could see everything. Whereas here, it's, it's sort of eight eight thirty before the the sun gets up high enough to be able to start start coming onto the course. So. And from a maintenance perspective, that does change some of the things you have to do, doesn't it? I mean, you talk about, and and, and I know in the mountains, similar in New South Wales and west of Sydney, it would, it, depending on particular small pockets and geography on the golf course, but if you have a shadow cast from anything and it doesn't get direct sunlight, you have the dew hanging around longer on a golf green. The leaf is then wetter for a much longer period of time before it starts to dry out. There's a longer period of, you know, fungal disease pressure when it's able to grow in those conditions. All these are knock-ons that, like you mentioned in the arrow, if you're getting sunlight on at 6.30, 7 o'clock, that's an hour and a half potentially sooner. So that there are these little things that you've got to manage along the way that are little things you've got to think about too, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. The disease pressures are quite high. It's you know, a lot of fusarium and, and anthracnose and stuff like that sort of sort of hit us, hit us quite a lot. So we do need to keep our eye on it. We obviously try and remove the dew as much as possible on the greens and stuff on those those mornings. And and um, so we're always doing something in, in regards to that just to try and protect ourselves from it. Yeah, it, and, and these are the things that I think I like to try and educate and bring out in, in superintendents' roles and greenkeepers' roles of these are the stuff we've got to keep an eye on. You guys are out there doing it every day. And the, and the golfers are going, well, how come they're just, you know, why is it that they're just using the dew broom and not cutting today and it might be in the middle of winter or whatever? Why are you bothering doing that job? Because yeah. this is what we're just saying is that, that that hanging around, that moisture physically on the leaf is just a, a pool of life yeah, effectively. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, and these are the things that you've got to deal with different to, like you said, other sites that you've been to. Yeah. Mate, how, how did it feel? Being a super, finally, obviously, you, you, you'd gone from Heritage to to being at Eastwood, something you wanted to do. What was the feeling like for you for the first week, the first month of getting your hands on the team, getting in there and, and putting your direction on it? What was that like for you? Did you really revel in that in that job? Look, I was, I was very excited. I was very, very excited. Don't get me wrong, but it was a bit nerve-wracking. Um, 
as, as and most people would probably think that it is, you know, all of a sudden realising that the decisions were up to me and I had no one to fall back on if I wasn't sure about something. So, you know, it was as, as, as excited as I was, it was, it was a bit nerve wracking. But as I, as I said earlier, I was, I was fortunate to work under, you know, some of the best operators in the industry in Glen and Shane from, um, from Long Island and then Sam at, at the Heritage. So those guys um, are really professional and knowledgeable and I, I learned a lot from them, um, especially Sam in the later career as a foreman and assistant. So they made it easier for me and they sort of shaped me as a super and, and I'm sort of grateful for them to that. So, And, yeah. mate, all those things, they do make a difference. You know, we're all products of our own environment and then I suppose, like you said, when you're out in the deep blue sea and you look around and there's not really anyone in sight, and you know it's just you, and you're answerable to those people above you, be it general managers and committees and boards. I mean, they're, they're all staring at you going, you know, touching wood, <laughs> saying, uh, "Where are we up to speed here, and, and what are we delivering for this time frame? It, it is a pretty impressive thing to do, but then equally, like you mentioned, quite daunting as well. Do yeah. you lean, did you have to lean on peers much? Do you do that yourself in this role now where you're at? Do you, every now and then you catch up with some of those guys? Yeah, you know? I, I, I do. I, I speak to them every now and then. There's a few other superintendents that I'm quite quite friendly with that we sort of, that are around the area and stuff that we sort of get a hold of and, and have a chat to and bounce things off. So um, I, I do do that. I probably didn't as much at the start because I, I thought, well, no, I want to try and do this myself and I think I've sort of learnt my lesson a little bit in that respect, and 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 you know I'm not afraid to ask for advice or, or help on things these days. So I'm but, always willing willing to have a chat to someone about something. And I, I think that that lends to the camaraderie in the industry. I, I think everyone's quite open and they're they're welcoming to you know catching up and asking questions and querying along the way. Just you bounce like you said, you bounce ideas off usually with the local other superintendents around your immediate area too. So you know, most people I know of have those groups of people around nearby that you often catch up with once every now and then or have a chat or whatever. And, and it's it's quite a, a good thing. A great part of the industry, I find, is getting to know those those people around and catch yeah, up with them time de- to time. De- definitely. And I think that's where most of the Victorians are sort of, for the last couple of years anyway, we've sort of missed out on a, on a bit of that with conferences and, and all of those kind of things getting cancelled. So I think everyone's just hanging out just to try and catch up with everyone at some point. So Yeah, well, it, we were in the middle of this year, just gone in, in July or June or one of the two, I think it was June, where, yeah, no one from Victoria was able to come yeah. up at all to the conference and it was last minute cancellations for everyone because I know there was a few that I knew were coming up that then it was just like, nope, can't happen, we're not allowed to go or we can't get out, we can't get in. It was, it was a, it's been a very challenging time and we know socially within our own circles of friends and family how difficult it is. In a workplace, it's equally just as difficult as well because like you mentioned and a lot we just talked about is you do lean on and catch up with and break down those things that you you're uh, you're trying to work through in the workplace. It's always good to have those ears to lean on from time to time. Yeah, definitely. Pete, it's wonderful insight hearing your journey that you've gone from how you got into the industry and all the way up to becoming a super at, at Eastwood. It's I love, like I mentioned, love hearing all these bits and pieces about the the, the courses you've been at, how they've operated, and and what you've got there at Eastwood and in the geography and the elements. I 
like I said, I really enjoy it. And I think it's a key to understanding that for, for those that want to go and visit Eastwood and play Eastwood and what makes it quite unique. Tell us a little bit about Eastwood itself, in particular for golfers. Is it a, a Parkland-style course separate maybe from the sand belt? I don't personally know. Is it, it's, a, it's an 18-hole course. I know that. Tell us a little bit about some details. Yeah, look, it's, a, it's a, obviously a clay profile, so it, um, it does get very dry during summer and quite wet during winter. Um, I think the last couple of years we've had very wet years and obviously being in a lockdown with no golfers around, it was probably a bit of a blessing in disguise that they, they weren't out there because there would have been um, a lot of complaining people, I think, with how wet, wet they would have got their feet and not being able <laughs> to use their golf carts. So we have been doing a lot to try and do some drainage work to improve the playability of the course in the winter, winter months. We, we were planning on doing some in November, but obviously it was still too wet all the way up till now, basically, um, with how wet we've been. So there's sort of that's been pushed off until January to get that done. There's still 11 of the uh, original push-up greens from when the course was originally built. So they're, they're always fun to try and maintain as well. Obviously, there's there's quite a bit of aeration and, and needle tining and stuff that we need to do in those just to try and get the water penetrating through them. But, um, you know, and it's... They're the best part of what was it? The sixties, the course. Yeah, of, yeah, six sixty-five. I think the it's um yeah, it's nineteen sixty-six. They were originally built. So yeah, still eleven of the original greens there. So that that's always fun trying to trying to keep them nice and firm and 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 running smoothly. But um yeah, so it's it's you know heavily tree lined. So there's obviously shade issues and and a lot of debris around the course during during most of the most of the year so obviously not just the mountains that are in the way but obviously we've got a lot of the trees there that create a lot of issues for 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 shade so i think we had a couple of big storms in july of this year that sort of did quite a lot of damage up the dandenongs and the dandenongs were out of power for three or four weeks or whatever it is i think that that, that storm wow. actually played played 18 holes of golf at eastwood before it went up there and we lost 27 trees that night wow um, in the storm and they were some of the largest trees on the course which were just completely uprooted due to the force of the wind so that's incredible and, and yeah. of course we that you guys in in victoria and particularly melbourne have been hammered and poleaxed by a lot of recent storms in the last what four to eight weeks really yeah, I th well i think since then we lost 26 that night and i think since then we've probably lost another 21 in in the wow. storms, sort of and it's like i think we lost six last thursday so um wow. just, they, they just keep seem to dropping at the moment just because they're so wet underneath and they're just most of them are just completely uprooting and just falling falling down so yeah um yep. which is which is you know we've we're sort of sick of chainsaws and chipping but if, if you if you i'm telling you if you need some firewood and some some mulch <laughs> at the moment we've got plenty of it there you go the call out for anyone in melbourne that has a fireplace <laughs> if you yeah, need exactly. any wood the, the guys need to get it off course so yeah. if you're interested turn up with your trailer there you go. Yeah, Man, I'm, sure, so. I'm sure you'll get a few people, hopefully, with that to help you out. But these are normally winter jobs as well. When the grass isn't growing, you don't have a lot to worry about. You'll have these things to, you know, from time to time to cut up and clean up because you can afford that time. What's your crew like? What do you run there, mate? What have you got on course? Are you, are you running how many people, how many staff? Look, we've got we've got six at the moment. Um, and as of as of Friday just been, we just we just lost two of our apprentices apprentices which have gone on to um to other jobs. So one of them's moved down to Peninsula Kingwoods at Kingswood and the other one's gone to the uh, cricket uh, MCC cricket ground to to um to work wow. on cr cricket ovals. So we're we're sort of only four of us at the moment, plus the mechanic. Cool. Um so we're sort of 
you know, we've um, got our hands tied at the moment, but we're, uh, so if anyone's out there that wants to do an apprenticeship, we've um, got a position available if you're interested. Mate, well, yeah, put it out there. Again, another call out, anyone who's thinking about, you've heard what it's like on some of these other uh, episodes I've done at Keeper of the Greens and you've heard you've heard Pete's story and, and the, what it can do and open up your career and where you can go and travel to. So there you go. It's always happy to put the call out there, mate, but that's a tough gig going from six to four and your workload is increasing uh, yeah. Not only with random damage from things you've got to clean up, but also it's the growing season. No doubt you're finally starting to get enough temperature out there to get the grass to grow. And let's talk about some of the grasses. What grass types do you have across the different playing surfaces on course? And this one will keep you happy. We've got Santa Ana Fairways. Yes. Woo! <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, and a mixture of the, the teaser, there's some cool season and, and obviously the Cooch, Santa Ana Cooch tees as well. We're slowly, I'm trying to transition as many of them through into the center runner as I can. Um, there's yep. obviously ones that are heavily shaded, which aren't going to do so well. So we'll just, we'll try some other things on those. I was slowly trying to transition them, them all into, um, into the center runner and obviously the, the bent power fairways and just a mixture of ryegrass and bent and power in the surrounds. Yeah. Okay. So the, the bent power greens with a bit of ryegrass on those, uh, blends on the surrounds as well, which it sounds actually quite similar to what we had in the Blue Mountains and some of the courses have up there, not just where I was at Katoomba. Very, yeah. very similar actually yeah. and probably similar climates in, in terms – I know we'd never got the, the baking sun that you guys get regularly because you do push up into the high 30s in summertime, um, which we don't quite get in the Blue Mountains, but yeah. they're some of the challenges. And can I – I'm going to ask you a question and let's let's do it live. Let's do, this is it. Live, live, live question about your thoughts on Santa Ana and why why are you continuing to put more of that through some of those areas on your course? What are your thoughts on it in particular? Because well, I've reported on others. Latrobe's just been doing some line planning of Santa Ana. There, there are other courses. I think Commonwealth might have been doing some as well um, that are putting Santa Ana in. And we know it's just one particular type of cooch and there's plenty of different options out there for people. But what are the reasons that you like it for your golf course? Because these things are site-specific as well. Why does it work so well at Eastwood, do you think? It's, it just, it, it's obviously all the fairways with, with Santa Ana. I think they trans, they, they changed them through to Santa Ana in, um, I think it was 92. They, they were all cool season grasses, and I think the, the, the super at the time, John Coulson, was... Um, convince the committee to convert them to the Santa Ana. So they're quite good conditions. Now, I don't know whether they're because of the clay it holds the moisture in them a little bit more and it just it just, it just provides a really good playing surface and it's easy to work with. So do you find you have, do you get the time to do much in terms because of the, the, the flip side or the de- one of the detracting um, attributes of, of Santa Ana is that it does really thicken up. It really yeah. gets thatchy and really gets matty. And you kind of, if you have the ability to work it in terms of dethatching and scarifying, that it, it becomes better still. But it's only if you get the chance. And I know we didn't. And that was one of the difficulties with us at Katoomba is I didn't have the, the, the availability of labour to do so or the cost to do so. Are you able to do much of that or are you in that kind of a similar boat? Well, when I, when I started... In 2015, I'm not sure the last time they'd been done. So I, I tried to bring in a 
I tried to get it through the, the, the budget to get, get this fairway scarified. And obviously it was a, a great expense to the club and the club doesn't have a huge budget, but we I sort of negotiated with them to try and get nine holes done every year. So basically oh, yeah. it would be a two-year turnaround to get the, the whole course done. <laughs> Unfortunately, that we, we got nine holes done the first first year. Then we got rained out the second year. And then we were too wet again the third year. The fourth year, COVID happened, and we did the nine, the back nine this year. So it's sort of taken four years to get the, the whole course done rather than the two years. So, And, and these hope, are some of the challenges, aren't they? Yeah, exactly right. So we, we obviously get contractors. To, we've got the contractors to come in and do that. So there's not too much for us to do other than a little bit of cleanup at the end. But um, it does make a huge difference. Um, and, yeah. And they have, obviously, with... The soil temperature only just starting to come up, so we're just getting some good recovery on those those back nine ones that we did did, did a couple of weeks ago. So it's starting to come yep. along quite nicely. And and like I say, that is the flip side. There are costs attached to those things. It's something that the surface gets better if you're able to do it, and and that's a key, I suppose, ingredient to maintaining sand around a well. If you can you can do that in some sort of maintenance program to to scarify it and keep that thatch level right down. Um, it provides a wonderful service. I'm curious a little bit. You, you mentioned you're trying to get some of Santa into your tees more. Is that you, it provides a, a, a good playing surface for you guys there at Eastwood as a tee surface? Yeah, it does. It's it's obviously the 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 par three tees that, that we've got the Santa on. They're quite small tees, so they they tend to get chopped up quite a fair bit. So this time of year and, and going through the growing season, they sort of recover a lot better during the the cooler months. We we, we need to over sow them. Um, Obviously, they get, as I said, the smaller par threes. They get they get chopped up quite badly, but um, we get good recovery on them. This year has been a little bit trying with it because of the the soil temperatures and the and the, the temperatures that we've had. But um, they're starting to come along now. But um, there's going to be a couple of holes that we'll need to leave as cool season just because of the shading and the and and the, the environment around them. But um, yeah, it does provide a good playing surface for us. And that's something that golfers can can sort of try and keep an eye out for as well as they move to around the course. They traverse their, their round of 18 holes. They'll, it's particularly in winter, it'll stand out more where you've got those cool season areas, won't it? Because they'll be bright in colour as opposed to the Santa Ana, which will be dormant. So they can see what parts are actively growing and they might get a little bit more of a different bounce or play as they, as they hit the ball through those areas too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very much so, so. something to keep in mind. I like I like to bring that out of a golf course so people are aware when they go and play that there are those different parts to specific areas on the course, which is always good and interesting to see as well. Mate, tell us um, tell us a bit of some of the site characteristics characteristics of of Eastwood. Are there? Is it? Does it got a few bunkers around the place? Do you have any water bodies there? What what's a, is it? Is it a hilly course or like I said, I know nothing. So uh, tell us as golfers, we want to come and visit what we're going to experience. Look, it's it's undulating. I wouldn't say it's hilly. Some people, the older people, say that it's quite hilly. There is a, there's a few holes that it's it's up and down. So there is there is a bit of um, undulation through the course. There's I think about forty two bunkers, um, okay. which uh, aren't necessarily the best bunkers in the world. But we we did start a program of putting um, bunker liner in in those. So we've we've done. Four four holes now with um, the custom bind. Okay, um, how are you finding that as a yeah, product? Look, of they're the only bunkers that we don't have to get in and do anything to after we've ever had any storms. So, 
There you um, go. Just, That's enough just, said. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. It's just get in Rakeham and and, and 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 move on. All the other ones we've sort of got to be pushing the sand up the faces and all of that kind of stuff. So um, they Good, do, they make a huge, a huge difference. Worthwhile investment, obviously. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So they, they sort of toss up. It depends on how wet a winter we have to what we, we, we try and do. Like obviously the last two years have been quite wet, so we, we're concentrating more on the drainage on the on the – on the fairways and stuff to try and keep it a bit more playable during during the winter months. Um, if we have a drier winter, they'll start going, okay, well, we need to work on the bunkers and they, they tend to push to try and get the bunkers done. So it sort of jumps a little bit, but it's um, something that we can manage. So it's, it's not too bad. That, that's good. I'm, I'm a bit curious, mate, what sort of, how busy as a golf course are you? Do you get, um, are you part of this wave of post-COVID sort of stuff where you're getting, you know, 100, 150 players a day or was that normal for you previously? Where's the course and club sitting now in terms of traffic? Yeah, look, we, we did we did get really busy there. It's, it's died off a little bit, but not not that much. It is, it's, it's obviously made our life, as, you, as you'd know, hard getting getting jobs done and the spraying done with all of the golfers that are out there at the moment. But um, I think we're up towards the 60... 60,000 rounds a year so yeah right so it's quite busy yeah obviously the main comp days the 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 saturdays and the the wednesdays and 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 now the thursdays are probably starting to be the busiest days on the course and then it's they just filter through for the rest of them so and are you public access as well they have opened it up to to public access at certain times obviously the non-comp times and, and and out of the busy the busy peak times but um they do open it up now to to green fee payers and and all of those kind of people coming in. So, yeah, they do. That's good. So next time I'm in Melbourne, I can come and play if I'm on the right day. I don't need to, I don't need to be invited as a guest of a member. I can, no, I can you, you sort can. of bring up and You can, and but you can, you can give me a call and I can try and organise something for you. <laughs> no, that's all good, mate, all good. It's, it's just I think it's nice to know because we often talk about courses that are great to experience or great to play, and, and Royal Adelaide was one I just recently spoke with Nathan Bennett about, or we talked, you know, Sanctuary Cove up there with Paul McLean at the Pines. Some of these courses that are great to experience have that limited access, extremely limited access, where unless you're invited by a, a member, you don't get that chance. So I often like to try and highlight as well which courses are open to public access because yes. – it's great to talk about all these sorts of things, but it, sometimes it can diminish a little bit at the back end when people go, geez, I really want to experience it. Oh, yeah, no, I can't. Yeah. So I, I think it's important to highlight which courses we do get access to. And you, we talk about the barn bugles of the world and, and that sort of stuff, which are fully public access golf courses. And I think to highlight that point, it's good to know that in Melbourne there at the foot of the Dandenongs, we can get out to Eastwood and on a day that um, it's open to to play from the public and we can go and experience and enjoy it, mate. Great stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, mate, this is, this is a great question because I always used to do this, you know, every day, if not every second day at work. I want you to be able to tell us as a visitor to the golf course what you see every day, more or less, as one of the best locations to just get and soak up Eastwood, what Eastwood is. Have you got somewhere on the course that you really enjoy that as a player, if we come and visit, we go, right, got to remember when I get to the seventh tee just off the side, I've got to view this way to go and check out. What's a spot? Because you know it so intimately. Tell us what a wonderful spot is on the golf course where you can just soak it up. In the in the mornings, I think, when you get those good sunrises is if you get you get there at the right time, you stand on the second tees and you're looking across the little body of water that's in front of the little par three 
and you got that dandenongs, you're looking straight towards the dandenongs and all of a sudden you're getting the sun popping up over the dandenongs. Um, nice. That can be quite nice when you get those really red red sun sunrises in the morning. So that's that's probably my favourite spot. Beautiful. Um, down there. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, nice. it's, it's good at that on those mornings. And early into the round. So you can be early enough out there and, and really take that in. It's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, always nice to know, mate, because like I said, when people visit, we like to see some of those things that we might not know is there. So a morning game, it's not super early, but a morning game, a morning round at Eastwood's very nice by the sounds of it. I really, it, it, It's probably the spot that I post most of the photos from sort of around that area in, in the morning. So if I'm posting any pictures on my Instagram <laughs> and stuff like that, it's... Uh, it's usually from down there somewhere. There you go, mate. Incidentally, where can we fo- can we follow you? Where can we follow you? What's your Instagram handle? Uh, uh, at Pete Causey, I think, or at P Causey. Pete Causey, yep. And uh, you'll probably see some of the shared photos through Eastwood Golf yeah. Club's um, page anyway, I think. So there you go. Get on if you want to know more about the course and see some of the good stuff before you get a chance to go there. Go and follow Pete. It's, uh, it's, such a, a, it's always good to hear those locations, and I find it really interesting one cool part, and this is kind of where we also got in touch early on, mate, is this this sculpture, this yeah. wooden piece of art. I want you to tell us the story that you told me over the phone. Tell us what this piece of art is. Tell us how it come about, how it was actually done, and where it is on the golf course. All right. It's, it's adjacent to the first tee. So it's, you're standing on the first tee. It's sort of the front left-hand corner of the first tee. So... Um, you're sort of standing on there and all of a sudden you've got this, what looks to be a golfer hitting a golf ball at you sort of thing. But it's, uh, there was a, a large cypress tree there that posed a safety risk. This was back in, but this, this project was done in 2015. So there was a cypress tree was deemed to be a safety risk. So they were going to re- remove it. But rather than doing that, someone came up with this suggestion of, of doing a, a wood carving out of it. And a wood carving out of what the, the tree? The trunk of the tree. So basically the trunk of the tree is still in the ground. They've cut the, the top half of the tree off, um, left the trunk, and then they've got a, a chainsaw sculptor to come in. And, and, and out of that, they've, they've um, sculpted a, a golfer hitting a, a golf ball, a, a golf bag, and there's a, another sort of stump with a kookaburra sitting on it. So, Mate, um, I've seen some of the photos and you were kind enough to send me some really nice photos actually, early morning stuff I think it was because yeah. I wanted to know about it. I, I'd mentioned some of this this, this, this bit of, of Eastwood and I, I couldn't wrap my head around that one, it was done by a chainsaw, <laughs> which I still can't get my head around, to the level of detail that's in that sculpture and it's, it's from a, a stump that's in that was just sitting there still in place it hasn't hasn't been transplanted to that location and done somewhere else it was done there yeah exactly on so the that, ground for, for, it was always as i said it was done before i was there but they, they had the um scaffolding around it and i think it took him two weeks to do it wow um so yeah yeah it took two weeks to complete so it's there's a, there's a fair bit of work going involved in it and it's um it's actually i'm not sure what the uh the ruling is I think it's still classified as a tree. So if you hit your ball in the way of it, you still got to play it how it is sort of thing. So <laughs> it's, it's a really unique piece of the golf course and, and something that I, that's a, that's a very much outside the box thought from yeah, the club. Very much so. So there was, as I think I said to you on the phone the other week, there was a, 
a row of probably in between the first and the tenth tees, they sort of run parallel with each other. And there was a row of another 15 or so trees in between the two that sort of hedged hedged it off. And they were the same sort of size cypress trees. And they were all deemed, they had they got some disease in them and they were all deemed unsafe as well and they had to be removed. And um, there was a joke going around at some point that we were going to get the guy to come back out and sculpt a different golfer on each each of the tree stumps, but it was obviously a, a big cost. They they didn't end up doing it, but that could have looked quite now, interesting, I think. That would have been a bit more like an art gallery, I suppose. Yeah, exactly a little bit, right. Been, so have... there, was, there was talk of them, you know, someone mentioned, oh, they should put Jack Nicholas and, and, you know, all these other people, Greg Norman and, and stuff, and, and try and, and, and do that where they have like a, an avenue of honour type thing, but it, uh, it never it never came through. It never came to be. It would have been a hell of a cost, and it would have been, it would have been pretty impressive to yeah. see. I'm thinking yeah. of... The you know Melbourne's version of the hills with yeah. all the art that's around in New Zealand. So well, I, quite... I, thought, I said it'd be like the um the, the the statues they've got out the front of the MCG of the footy players and the cricket players. So the the yeah exactly right exactly. But the one that you do have is a standout. For, yeah, like much. I said, not not having been there, I I really do enjoy hearing these unique parts of golf courses and what they have, and that's something very very special for the club. And also, if you're a visitor, I I got a I'm sure that you would be sitting there going, I've got to take a photo of that. Because some of the detail, it, it, I still can't believe it was done with a chainsaw. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't get it, but it's, it's very pretty, talented. It's, it's pretty impressive. It's, uh, it's Very talented. Very, very impressive. Mate, and look, I suppose looking looking ahead, your time, what sort of things are you looking to improve for the golf course, say, in the next 12 months? You mentioned a bit of drainage stuff that's been delayed. Um, what sort of things can we look forward to if we've been a visitor in the past and we're looking to come back? What sort of things are happening for Eastwood? Well, look, obviously, obviously, as I said, we're, we're doing those drainage projects. Um, we've got a few new machinery, new pieces of machinery that are supposed to be turning up shortly. So that's that's very good. good for us. Yes, um, <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to do the irrigation system, but that's probably we've still got this irrigation system that's been put in there in 1975 and it's still the same one so it's uh wow bit of a that bit of a handful but that's that's another that's another argument for another day i think but um <laughs> well you, you've done a little bit of an upgrade was it the third tee yeah yeah we've, we've done, done an upgrade adding, on? adding and upgrading a few of the few of the issues that we have but it's um it's one of those ones i think we we, we turn the system off during winter and then turn it back on as we, we, we come into the season where we start needing it again. And I think in the first four weeks we had seven breaks and seven, seven sprinklers that right. we had to fix. Oh. So it was, um, actually that's, that's an interesting, interesting statement you just made. When you say, I heard this from superintendent Ben Lucas at Togemore when I went and caught up with him a few years ago on the Murray, he said something similar to me and coming from the blue mountains and in Sydney, there's no, we don't get to turn, turn it off. You, you just said then you turn it off for, is that actually what you do? Literally, yeah, yeah, we we yeah switch it off, and if we if we need to water anything in or anything like that, we'll start it back up again. But it's just to just to reduce our our time of doing any repairs across the winter months when 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 because the, the what's happening with ours at the moment is all the glue joints from the original glue joints are just started to give way. So I think if we left it on during winter, we'd probably spend most of our time doing irrigation repairs. So we just yeah, we just we just shut the system down. So just trying to protect it a little bit. Sitting there, static at full pressure. Yeah. You're going to test it every minute. So yeah, you don't need that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we we just shut it off and and forget about it, and then remember all those areas that we forgot to fix up last year when we turn it back on again the following year. So oh well, mate. Hopefully, hopefully that's something that that um, like you mentioned, it's 
something that the club's thinking about and, and I'm sure that they've got uh, your advice along the way and no doubt that, look, all these things are part and parcel of maintaining a course, aren't they? You, yeah, exactly you do right. have your challenges. Yeah, you exactly do have right. your challenges. Yeah, but look, uh, look, Pete. I, I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast. It's been wonderful to chat and hear your story, and certainly the courses that you've experienced and you you learnt your trade through there. I, I didn't know any of that, so it was it was great learning some of that with the Spring Valleys and the people you'd worked under and Heritage, and now you've got your own range at Eastwood. I think hopefully this has put Eastwood somewhat on the map a little bit for people to want to visit. I know I had some comments from some of the people that follow me on social media that said, oh, you know, I'm 20 minutes from Eastwood. I've never played it. I might think of it going out there now. So, yeah, nice. mate, I, I do hope that they get to go and enjoy it. And, mate, I really appreciate your time coming on and, and getting your story out there. It's another piece to Keeper of the Greens. and. I certainly hope, you know, um, you get a couple of people saying, look, I want to come and have a, a sticky beak at Eastwood and, and they've got to know a little bit more of you and your story. Thanks for the opportunity. Not a problem, Pete. Thank you very much for being on. Not a problem. Thanks, mate. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed that segment, Keeper of the Greens. Brought to you by Australian Turf Analysis. I really enjoyed having a chat with Superintendent Peter Causey from Eastwood. Now, there's a golf course you may or may not have played before in the eastern parts of Melbourne. So why not get down there and have a round? And I'm sure you will certainly enjoy it down there at the foothills of the Dandenong Ranges. Always something a little bit different to hear from someone who's looking after a golf course that may not be so well known as some of the bigger places around, certainly in and around Melbourne, which we do know down the southeast in the Sand Belt and the Mornington Peninsula. It's uh, like I said, it's always, and, and this isn't a segment about just the big stuff, the big courses, the ones that we've all heard of. This is about trying to show you guys uh, some of the details about some of the other courses around and, and some of the people behind those courses. So it was great to have Pete on board, and I really enjoyed having a conversation with him about his story and Eastwood as well. So thanks to Pete, and I hope you guys enjoyed it along the way. Now, please like, share, subscribe if you feel so. Send me a message and let me know what your thoughts are. I'd love to hear you. Have a bit of feedback, have a chat about a few things. And of course, don't forget to check out the website of our partnership with Australian Turf Analysis. Head to www.australianturfanalysis.com where you will find out what they're all about and how they can help you look after and maintain your course better with their aerial survey technology, looking after turf health and a few other bits and pieces that they are able to do. So always, always in support of our partners here at the podcast and the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast, which is great to have on board. But that's the end of another segment of Keeper of the Greens. And I look forward to catching up with you next week. You hit them clean and we'll keep them green.